So thank you, Greg, and thank you those that serve with him. And uh, thank you for those that are willing to serve in any capacity that's needed. Hope you have a Bible with you this morning, something that you can open up, preferably, or maybe even something that you can turn on, and that you will join me in Exodus chapter 4. Exodus chapter 4. There's always bulletins, as I told you there, at the very beginning. On the back of that, there'll be some notes that will guide our time through the Word this morning. But Exodus chapter 4. We are in a series of lessons, a series of studies out of the book of Exodus that starts with um, God seeing the plight of his people in Egypt and setting out a plan of rescue for the people of Egypt. And then as the story goes on, hopefully God willing that we'll see, he will then bring them out of Egypt and set them apart as his chosen people. Now it goes all the way back to Genesis 12 that he had told Abram, I'm going to set your whole descendants apart. But there is a lot of generations that have passed from Jacob moving, he and his 69 other in his family, moving them to Egypt and selling the land to Goshen, there's been some 400 years plus that has gone on. So now you have this entire generation, you have this entire group of people numbering in the, over the 500,000, 600,000 people that need to be reminded and taught what does it look like to be set apart. So we've been, we've been walking through these lessons here in Exodus looking at what does it mean to be set apart. So we've talked about how to Exodus chapter 2 about we see the providence of God and that God had already um, set apart a plan that he was going to use Moses and how Moses was born and how Moses was raised and how Moses was cared for. You get to Exodus chapter 3 and it talks about the calling where God has Moses in a particular place in a particular time and calls to him out of the bush and he comes to Moses or Moses then comes to understanding what God has for his life even at the age of 80. And then last week we were in Exodus, the first part of Exodus chapter 4 and Moses had some questions. And he had some doubts, and he was like, God, I'm not really sure. God, can you kind of give me some assurance? Can you give me some confidence here? And we saw how God is giving this assurance to Moses. That is, this is what I have for you to do. This morning, we're going to look at Exodus chapter 4, and we're going to cover verse 18 down through verse 31. A lot of times I try to do one or two verses, but if you look at the entire book of Exodus and you figure you just chop it up in two verse increments, that, that would be a while. I may, I may not be alive before we get done with Exodus. And so we're going to try to speed up a little bit. And this morning I've just kind of entitled it, and you see there in your notes, it's the pursuit of God. So looking at these different ways that God sets us apart, one of the other aspects that I want you to see with me this morning is the pursuit of God. Of God, And I was, I was sitting there trying to think about, well, how do I try to frame this idea of what this pursuit looks like? So I want to show you a picture. This was not yesterday. Go ahead, Mr. Mark. So this was not yesterday. As you can tell. As you can tell. But today's a very special day for my family. So today, 18 years ago, that hot vixen... agreed to take me as her husband. So 18 years ago today, we were sitting in Enid. Tucker was my best man. And we were sitting in front of a church, and we committed our lives to one another. Now, I realize that some of you in this room, you're like, 18, that's nothing. Just wait till you get to 50. That's awesome. And I'm glad that you're at 50. And I know, I'm sure, that you've never fought. You never had a bad day. You've never had the struggles in life. But I'm just going to tell you, 18 is an accomplishment for me. I've never been married this long. I've never had one woman willing to put up for me this long. And if you have been in an authentic, real marriage, you know it's work. It's not easy. 
It's not a give me. It's not just you wake up every day and it just happens. Marriage is a commitment. And marriage is work. And in the frame of what I want to think about it with me this morning, marriage is a pursuit. If you would have asked us, sitting in this picture 18 years ago, do you think that in 18 years you're going to be sitting, serving at a church in Wellston with six kids in the house, etc., etc., etc.? Her and I would have looked at each other and go, not a chance. That has nothing to do with what we have plans. But you know what? As you follow this pursuit, things happen. So this morning, I want you to look with me in Exodus chapter 4, and I want you to consider with me this pursuit of God. And just kind of have in your backdrop this idea of this picture of marriage. And that's what I think of. So 18-year wedding anniversary today and thinking about the work, thinking about the good times, thinking about the struggles, thinking about the times of patience, the times of not suffering, but the times of enduring. All of these times that Jaylene has had to take upon as part of being married to me, it is a bit of a pursuit. And sometimes in this Christian life, we start to think, well, as soon as I become a Christian, that means all my problems are over. Or as soon as I become a Christian, I will not have another bad day. Or as soon as I become a Christian, everything just gets better. And we are going to be reminded this morning, and we see through the life of Moses, that God says, no, Moses, this thing called being a Christian and following me is a pursuit. It's not a one-time decision. It's not a one-time prayer. It's not an emotional event that happens at a special service. Being a follower of Jesus Christ is a lifelong commitment that takes intentional work. So we're going to see it here in the life of Moses as he prepares. And I hope that you'll see these stages with me. Now, what I would like to do is try to make sure and say from the front end that when we're talking about these different stages, we're going to be in this room. You might be at a different stage. You might be at step one, you might be at step two, you might be at step three, or you might be at step four. Or maybe you find yourself getting to step four, falling into a rut, falling into a time of just dryness, and finding yourself back at step two. But I think, I think my personal conviction is, is that all of us in this room are at one of these four steps this morning. And know that you're not alone in your pursuit of God. So, we left off in Exodus chapter 4. When we left off back uh, last week, Moses, uh, God had told Moses, okay, Moses, he'd done all these signs through Moses. He had done all these things. And he said, all right, Moses, it is time now to go back. So starting in verse 18, I'm going to read verse 18 down through verse 20. Just kind of give us our first setting, if you will. It says, so Moses went back to Jethro, his father-in-law, and said to him, please let me go back to my brothers in Egypt to see whether they are still alive. And Jethro said to Moses, Go in peace. And the Lord said to Moses and Midian, Go back to Egypt, for all the men who were seeking your life are dead. So Moses took his wife and his sons and had them ride on a donkey and went back to the land of Egypt. And Moses took the staff of God in his hands. I've, I've entitled this first step or this first part of the pursuit as being the purpose. It's the purpose. It's the idea of knowing why you exist. The idea of knowing what God has for you to do. You see in your notes that God gave Moses instructions. God gave Moses direction. You go back to verse 19. And the Lord said to Moses in Midian, go back to Egypt. So right here at the front end, Moses knows this is what God wants me to 
do. And when you know what God wants you to do, you now have purpose for your life. And what a blessing it is that God then comes in and says, I am not going to leave you wandering aimlessly. I'm not going to leave you trying to figure this out on your own. I'm not leaving you trying to make up your own direction. I will tell you what to do. I will tell you what I want you to do. And I will tell you what it is to please and follow me. What a blessing it is that God does that. Now, some people may say, well, then wouldn't that be great if God still did it today? He does. He does. What, what, what is this? What is this? This is God's word. And through God's word, God tells us what he wants us to do. God gives us direction. God gives us guidance. God gives us a purpose to life. So you think about passages like 1 Corinthians 10 and 31. Whatever you do, whether you eat or drink, do all to the glory of God. God tells us this is your purpose in life, to glorify me. And when you know that you have a purpose in life, it gives you direction. It gives you a bearing. It gives you a a compass heading, if you will. And so what does God do? He gives them purpose. We have people today that are wandering around aimlessly, not knowing what they're going to do with their life. And and sometimes it's it's our adults. It's our fault. Because we look at some of these young students. We look at them and say, what do you want to do when you grow up? That is a dumb question. We should ask, what are you going to do with the Lord with your life? How are you going to serve the kingdom of God? How are you going to make much of God? We ask them in terms of vocation. We ask them in terms of money. We ask them in terms of man's standards and man's ideals. And we don't ask the spiritual questions. Now, so God comes in and God gives Moses a purpose for his life. Now, I don't know where you might be at in your pursuit of God this morning, but maybe you're in the place and the, 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 the position in life that you're going, you know what, I just don't know what God wants me to do. So where would I begin? You begin in God's word. God said he wants you to repent of your sins, confess Jesus as the Lord of your life, and turn to him. God said he wants you to put away the old self and put on the new self. God said he wants you to follow in obedience and faithfulness to him. And sometimes you may just need to start and remind yourself, what is my purpose for life? There's also another aspect of this I want you to see. Verse 20. So Moses took his wife and his sons and had them ride on a donkey and went back to the land of Egypt. Now, we have the benefit and we have the luxury of knowing the rest of the book of Exodus. So we have the rest of the historical record that we know what God does, we know what Moses does, and we know what God does through Moses. Now, when you're here in verse 20, Moses does not know what God is going to do. He does not know for certain how Moses, how Pharaoh will respond. He doesn't know what the people will say. He doesn't know what his family is going to do. He doesn't know what he's going to do when he brings them out of Egypt. He just knows God says, go back and do this. And yet I want you to remember this morning, and I want to point out to you this morning, that Moses had all the answers he needed. What do you mean, Spence? He had all the answers he needed. He had all the answers he needed because he knew that this is what God had called him to do. That this was what God was telling him to do. So the rest of it really doesn't matter. Less than three years ago, I came on Memorial Day weekend. And I preached here in this church Sunday morning of you of a call. And we came back that afternoon and there was some some question and answer time. and, and, And we had that interaction 
Saturday we had a bit of a, is it carbs and Carbs and clays. We had had a shooting going on, kind of get to know, kind of get to know the new guy. And then we come Sunday night, and I was out there in the fellowship hall, and the church gathered in here for a business meeting to make a decision, either vote to call him or vote not to call him. And I'm back there in the fellowship hall, and I remember they they took the vote and they tallied up the vote, and here comes Jason William, who Jason Wilson, who was serving serving as interim pastor. And he comes back to that corner where I'm standing, and he comes, he comes back, and he gets right here in my face. He looks at me, and he says, the church voted to call you as a pastor. Do you accept? Now, I've never told you this before. But in that moment, I was not concerned about how you voted. In that moment, I was not concerned about the treats and the desserts that were waiting in the fellowship hall. In that moment... It did not matter what my mama or my daddy thought. In that moment, it did not matter what you thought. In that moment, the only thing that mattered was, where was God leading me? That's the only question that I had. And you know, in that moment, when the question is yes or no, you say, well, well, Spence, how'd you make a decision? Well, you know what? I didn't know what was going to happen in six months. I didn't know what was going to happen in 12 months. I didn't know what was going to happen in three years. I didn't know what was going to happen in five years. I don't know how it's going to be received. I don't know how it's going to be taken. I have no idea. What I did know then and what I still know now is God said, this is what I have for you. You see, sometimes we get stuck in that Season of obedience because we want to know step two through ten. And so we never get past step one because we don't know what step two is. And God's saying, it's not for you to know. Know that God has given you a purpose. And when you know that purpose, you move in that purpose. So what does Moses do? Verse 20, he took his wife and his sons and had them ride on a donkey. He went back to the land of Egypt. Moses, do you know, what, you know where you're going to stay when you get there? Nope. Do you know how the people are going to respond when you get there? Nope. Do you know how Pharaoh is going to respond when you get there? Eh, a little bit. God kind of gave me an idea, but I don't know exactly what he's going to say. Do you know what, how God is going to bring the people out of Egypt? Nope. Do you know what you're going to do with the people when you get out of Egypt? Nope. So why are you going? Because God told me to go. And sometimes that's the spot where we get stuck. Because we don't live out the purpose God has for our lives. Or maybe you know the purpose that God has for your life, but you're stuck on the second part. Verse 21. And the Lord said to Moses, When you go back to Egypt, see that you do before Pharaoh all the miracles that I have put in your power. But... I will harden his heart so that he will not let the people go. Then you shall say to Pharaoh, thus says the Lord, Israel is my firstborn son, and I say to you, let my son go that he may serve me. If you refuse to let him go, behold, I will kill your firstborn son. Now, some of you are going to some of you are going to hold up here and just kind of camp out in this idea that God will harden Pharaoh's heart. Hopefully, we'll get we, not hopefully. I know we're going to get to that later on. When we talk about the plagues and we'll come back and, and wrestle with that together. But I want you to understand right at the very first part of what God is saying to Moses. He's giving him a promise. So we had talked about the purpose, and then we talk about the promise. And what is the promise? God says to Moses, "Understand this: you're going to have problems." He tells Moses from the very onset, you are going to go back and you will not be heard. 
You will not be heeded. You will not be listened to. There will be people that will oppose you. There will be people that might ridicule you. you. There will be people that will make your life hard. Moses, know that if you are pursuing after me and you're fulfilling the purpose I have for you, you're going to have problems. Makes us think about passages like John chapter 15 and verse 18 and 19 where Jesus looks at his followers and says, if the world hates me, the world will hate you. Because I am not of the world and neither you are in the world. So don't be surprised when the world hates you. That's my paraphrase. John 16, In this world you have tribulation, but take heart, I have overcome the world. God reminded, he promised, he told Moses that when you are pursuing faithfulness and obedience to me, you're going to have problems. So as Moses is leading out, God says, this is what is going to happen. So what we understand from this text is that Moses knew there was going to be opposition. So when Moses... Packs up in Midian and he is heading back to Egypt and they are on. He knows I am going back for a battle. And Christians, there's too many of us in the Christian life today that the first sign of trouble we run for the exits. We have been conditioned to demand comfort. We've been conditioned to expect comfort. And we've been conditioned to push away from anything that makes us feel uncomfortable. And some of the fault is on the feet, hands, shoulders of the church, because by and large, we make it all about trying to please you and make you happy. So we bring in air conditioning, heating, we bring in noise amplification, we put a roof over the place, and we give you some nice padded chairs. Oh, imagine the day when you sit on the wooden benches for hours and hours and hours in the middle of the summer when there was no air conditioning, and you'd open up the windows, and you'd sing out of the hymn book, and all there was the piano, and people came, not because it was comfortable to sit in or because it was easy to listen to, but because they loved God. And yet we have been conditioned that it all matters is how I feel and what I think. And I'm not trying to discount your emotions. I'm just going to say that your emotions do not trump the word of God. And so God says, in this Christian life, you're going to have problems. That's why he says in places like Ephesians chapter 6 and verses 10 through 20, he's talking about the armor of God. Why? Because he expects this Christian life to be a battle. In the last 18 years, God has blessed our home with six children. Six radically different children. And on one hand, it is a blessing because they have their mother's stubbornness. And on one hand, it's a blessing because they have their father's <laughs> kindness. But they're radically different. And yet, there's not a single one of them that came out that said, I'm not going to be any problem. I'm never going to wake you up in the middle of the night. I'm never going to question you. I'm never going to say, why? 
never going to have any problems. No, every single one of them. And yet you say, you say, well, Spence and Jaylene, didn't you realize that this was a potential when you had children? Yes. So when you get in the midst of it and you have the problems and you have the struggles and you're up in the middle of the night with a chick child and you're losing sleep and you got to go to work the next day and all these things are going and you go, didn't you understand this part of it? Yes. So why do you do it? Because it's a joy and it's a blessing and it's a privilege to be entrusted with the stewardship of something that is created in God's image. And think about the influence and the impact and the effect it could have in the world. So Christian, you have to make a decision to prioritize the things of God over the things of this world and somebody criticizes you or somebody challenges you. Why are you surprised? God has said we're going to have problems. But the privilege and the honor and the gift to be entrusted with the stewardship of the truthfulness of God's word and the gospel of Jesus Christ. What an honor it is that we get to call ourselves believers in Jesus Christ. And he says, you're going to have, you're going to have problems. And so he tells Moses, all right, Moses, this is your purpose. And even in the midst of this purpose, you're going to have problems. So you might find yourself here this morning and you may say, well, Spence, I know the purpose for my life, but you know what? I just hit roadblock after roadblock, obstacle after obstacle. And I realize there's sometimes that God says, I don't want you to do that. And so he puts roadblocks in your ways to keep you from doing what he wants you to do. But more often than not, I suspect it is Satan sitting there saying, if I just slow you down, if I just distract you, I will get you away from God's purpose. And if you know that a shout out, this is God's purpose for my life, then when you hit the obstacles, when you hit the road bumps, when you hit the challenges, you look at him and say, this is an opportunity for me to move forward. Because he promises us that we're going to have problems. But then we get to verse 24. Now verse 24 and verse 25 is legendary. Once upon a time when you didn't have all the snowflakes and the bainsy pamsy in the seminary, you get in preaching class and you'd have all these seminary students there and the preaching professor and he would go through there and he would assign a text to preach. And you had about five minutes to get your thoughts together, and, you, and then you were expected to get up and preach and teach on that passage. Nowadays, they don't do that because now we've got to be more sensitive and PC and all that stuff. This, two, these three verses, verses 24 and 25 and 26, was like the most dreaded verse to get assigned because nobody knows what to do with it. It is confusing to every single person. And so what I'm going to do, I'm going to take my best swing at it. But if you're reading this and you're like, I'm not sure about that, there is a lot of room for us to grow together in this. But listen to what it says in verse 24. At a lodging place, (laughs) at a lodging place on the way, the Lord met him and sought to put him to death. Well, that's kind of confusing. So you mean Moses is heading back, doing what God told him to do? Yes. Following what God said to do? Yes. And then at a lodging place, now God met him, sought him, put him to death. Verse 25. Then Zipporah, his wife, took a flint and cut off her son's foreskin and touched Moses' feet with it and said, Surely you are a bridegroom of blood to me. So he let him alone, and it was then that she said, A bridegroom of blood because of the circumcision. Now can you imagine sitting in preaching class and they assign you these three verses and said, Here, minister to our hearts and preach on us about that little text. Now, some of you may come to this and you're like, what in the world is going on? This seems so obscure, seems so weird. Well, let me just tell you, at the heart of it, this is what I understand it to say, is that God is saying, not only in the pursuit of God, not only do you need to know your purpose, not only do you need to know about the promise, but you also need to be prepared. Prepared. Now, let me explain to you where I get this from. 
Back in Genesis chapter 12, when God called Abram, he then said, Abram, this will be the sign that you are a people set apart. And he gave them the sign of circumcision. And so from Abram all the way down, Isaac, Jacob, Esau, all the way down through the 12 children, you had the mark of circumcision. When they come out of Egyptian bondage and they get, <coughs> when they're coming out before they go into the promised land, I think this is Joshua 2 or Joshua 3, they actually all go through and become circumcised. Why? Because it was a mark that this is who we belong to. And it was a mark that we're following obedience to God. So when God says, being a part of the follower of God, you're going to be circumcised. So therefore, circumcision was an act of obedience. It was an act of identification. It was an act of knowing who you were. Well, here in this text, Moses is coming back. He's got his wife Zipporah. He's got his kids. And he had been circumcised and he knew that God expected circumcision. But he was coming back with his family and he wasn't prepared to be an example and a model to the people because he was out of faithful obedience to God. So when it says that he sought him along the way to put him to death, it could be a euphemism, it could be a metaphor, it could just be saying that, you know what, Moses, you're not ready to stand in front of my people because you're going to stand in front of my people. They're going to say, why should we listen to you? You're not even keeping in step with what God calls us to do. And so right there in the middle of this picture, we see the woman, the wife, then circumcise the child, put the blood as a mark. And you will see this later in the book of Exodus about the sacrifices, but it just says, hey, before we show up in Egypt, you need to be prepared. I put there in your notes that God expects sanctification. Now, sanctification isn't a bad word. Sanctification isn't a big word. Sanctification just means that we're expected to be set apart. If we're God's people, living on God's purpose, pursuing after God's word, then that then necessitates that we are now to be set apart. And God expects for us to be set apart. God expects us to have a different lifestyle. God expects for us to be able to model and demonstrate what obedience to God looks like. And how what a travesty it is when we have people that claim the name of Christian but live on the same level or worse than the world around them. What a travesty it is when people say that they're a Christian on Sunday but then don't live like they know anything about God on Monday. What a travesty it is. And so when I look at these two verses, I'm sorry, these three verses, I'm reminded that part of this pursuit of God is preparation. Preparation for how we're going to present ourselves to God. Preparation for how we're going to come to God. And preparation before we stand in front of God's people. We need to understand, as Moses does, that we are responsible for our witness. And God gives us a time to prepare. God said, Moses, you're going to go back to Egypt, and you're going to lead my people out. So all the way from where Moses then goes to, Jethro is following along, packs up his family, all the way back, Moses knows, you know what, this is what i got to do. Moses had a time prepared to make sure that he had his family in order, to make sure that he had his life in order, to make sure that he had his conduct in order, to make sure that he had his social media accounts in order, to make sure that he had all this stuff lined out and straightened out, because he knows that to be ready to stand in front of God's people takes preparation. Now, this doesn't take perfection. Sometimes we think that we can't speak on behalf of God or teach on behalf of God until we are perfect. No, that's not a matter of perfection, but a matter of knowing that we are going to stand and say, Thus saith the Lord, and that therefore says we need to be prepared. So there's some things that you feel at liberty to do outside of church that I don't feel liberty to do. It's not because one is right or one is wrong. 
It's not because you're sinning and I'm not sinning. It's just because of the fact that Hebrews tells us that those spiritual leaders in the church are held at a different level of accountability. James 1.3 says those that teach the word of God are going to be held with a stricter amount of judgment. We're reminded that there is a certain element that when we are going to represent God, there's a preparation that then takes place. But sometimes you get stuck in this. You think that you can live this faithful Christian life without any kind of work and effort or sacrifice or change in your life. And there are some people today that say, well, just come to Jesus and you don't have to do anything. God will do it all. No, you might have to throw away that temptation. You might need to stop going to that temptation. You might need to put some of that stuff away. There is such thing as preparation. And some of you might be in a place in your life that you know God's purpose and you're willing to accept God's promises, but you're not willing to do any of the work of preparing to serve faithfully to God. You're not willing to be ready for Sunday morning by what you do on Saturday. You're not willing to put away those distractions. You're not willing to make those priorities. You're not willing to set yourself up so that you are able to focus and serve after the Lord. And so you see right here in this text that not only does it when it comes to this pursuit, Moses knew the purpose of God, he had the promise of God, and then he had the preparation, that, that necessary aspect of preparing for a service to God. But here comes this last one. It's the provision, the purpose, the promise the preparation, and the provision. Now you see a little bit of this in the preceding verses up in uh, the first half of Exodus chapter 4, but you're reminded of this in Exodus 4 and verse 27. It says, And the Lord said to Aaron, Go into the wilderness to meet Moses. So he went and met him at the mountain of God and kissed him. And Moses told Aaron all the words of, all the, words of the Lord with which he had sent him to speak and all the signs that he had commanded him to do. Then Moses and Aaron went and gathered together all the elders of the people of Israel. And Aaron spoke all the words the Lord had spoken to Moses. And he did the signs in the sight of the people. And the Lord, and I'm sorry, verse 31. And the people believed. And when they had heard that the Lord had visited the people of Israel, then he had seen their affliction. They bowed their heads and worshipped. Can you imagine the scene in verse 31 when Moses and Aaron are speaking to the people and not only do they believe that God had sent a deliverer, not only do they believe that God was going to deliver them, but they bowed their heads and they worshipped. Why? Because of what God had done. Because a man was living on purpose. Because a man was willing to endure the promises. Because a man was prepared to stand and speak for the Lord. But not just that, but because the Lord had provided a fertile heart. Put there in your notes that God knew what Moses needed. You might write this, jot this down in your notes or in the margin of your Bible, Matthew 6 and 32. And Jesus says, why are you worried about all these things, what you're going to eat and drink and all those things? God knows what you need. Or you think of a place like Matthew 10 and, and 19. And he says, there's going to be persecution that's going to come. But when you find yourselves in the midst of the persecution, don't worry. God will give you the words to say. You know, somewhere in this lifestyle, we start to think, you know what? I'm responsible for my own provision. And yeah, yeah, God gives me responsibility to go out and work. God gives me responsibility to pay my bills. God gives me responsibility to be a good steward with what he has entrusted to me. You know, there's a lot of things in this Christian life that I don't have to have at all before I start. There's a certain amount of this idea that God will provide for me as I pursue 
after him. I put there that Moses received the provision in the midst of the pursuit. Not before the pursuit, but in the midst of the pursuit. God said, Moses, go to Egypt. Moses said, yep, roger that. He picked up his stuff and he heads to Egypt. And while he's going, here comes Aaron. They get there and say, we don't know how the people are going to respond. We don't know what the people are going to say. Nope, we're going to do it. They go back to Egypt. They tell the people and the peaceful people worship God. And yet you might be in a place this morning that you're not willing to follow God's will for your life until you have all the provisions you think you need. I don't have any name or face in mind when I say this. But it shocks me when I talk to a young man or a young woman that are engaged to be married. I said, oh, that's great. When's the wedding? Oh, it's going to be in three and a half years. Why three and a half years? Well, you know, he's got to finish school and I've got to finish school. and We just got to get to where we're in a better spot in life. How are you madly in love with someone? And sexually pure with someone? And faithful to God with someone? And for three and a half years, sit on your hands. <laughs> I don't get it. I don't understand it. I met this woman in January. January 17th of 2004, I met her. And in March, I was ready to marry her. And the only reason I didn't marry is because she's like, hold up. we got to do this thing. we got to have all this big ceremony. Blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, who cares? Who cares? And people may say, well, how would you know what you're going to do? It doesn't matter. We'll figure it out. And you look at these young people today and these young people today, like, i got to have all these ducks in a row. And I'm thinking, and then what? If you know that's what God wants you to do, and if that's, you know where that's where God wants you to be, get there, be faithful, and let God provide what you need along the way. And so many times we get stuck in this idea, well, I can't move until I have all of these things figured out. And you know when you get back to Matthew chapter 6 and verse 11, we're talking about the model prayer right there. What does Jesus say in the model prayer? Give us this day our daily bread. It's this idea that you and I live day to day to day to day. We get up in the morning and we pursue after God. Not because we have everything we need for tomorrow. Because God gives us enough for today. And we get up and we pursue after God. Right now on Wednesday nights, we've got three problems. Well, you're going to call them problems. I call them opportunities. We've got three opportunities. We're out of space. We're out of space down here, we're out of space up there, and we're out of space over there. I see the opportunity. Others see the opportunity. Do I know exactly what the answer is going to be in six months? No. Can I come up with an answer for the next six months? Absolutely. But what about, what about this whole idea that we just let God provide as God wants to provide? And when God says, hey, this is what I want you to do next, then that's what we do next. And we just sit there and find ourselves praying more than we're planning and pursuing after God more than we're thinking about what we want to do. And what about the idea that you and I just sit back and say, God will take care of us. 
But sometimes we get stuck. Sometimes we get stuck in that moment where we aren't willing to trust in the provision of God. So if you're here this morning and you say, you know what, I know what my purpose is. Oh, I know that I'm not promised easy days. I know I'm not promised good failure. I'm not promised good sunshine and roses. And you know what, I know that I'm prepared and I'm working on being prepared. Then what about the willingness to just say, I will let God supply as I move forward. The provision that you see here. In Exodus 4, verse 27, down through 31. So then what is this, how does this impact us as a church? We adopted these core values almost a year ago. Build families, teach the Bible, and be the church. So how does our pursuit of God and being set apart come into play with these core values? With just three ideas, and we're going to bring this to an end. The first thing I want to remind you of is that God has a purpose for the family. That God has a purpose for the family. Whether it's the church family, whether it's the family in the home, whether it's your extended family, God has a purpose for the family. And it's not to worship at the idol of secularism. And it is not to chase paganism all around the country. And it is not to spend your life acquiring things that will not last in eternity. God has a purpose for our family. And what is that? To worship Him. And worship is taught. And grandma and grandpa, if you won't worship God, then your kids won't worship God. And if your kids won't worship God, then your grandkids won't worship God. And if your grandkids don't worship God, your great-grandkids won't worship God. And the purpose for the family is to worship God. Secondly, the Bible prepares us for life. The Bible prepares us for life. So you say, well, Spence, what do I know my purpose for life is? Well, God gives us the purpose he has for our lives right here. What is the promises that God has given me? It's right here. How do I prepare my life according to God's standards and God's, main, God's word? It's right here. How do I know that God will provide for me? It's right here. See, the Bible prepares us for life, which is why we should be in our Bibles more than we're in our phones. We should be in our Bibles more than we're in the television. We should be in our Bibles more than we're in the, the game system. We should be in our Bibles more than we are in our music. We should be in our Bibles more than a lot of other things in this life. It's, it's boggling to me how we in this culture think that we can be more informed about the current events happening thousands of miles away and be more ignorant of the Word of God, and that makes sense. If we're not in God's word, then who cares what's happening in Eastern Europe? If we're not in God's word, who cares about who's for or against the OG&E franchise for Wellston? If we're not in God's word, who cares about the latest drama on Facebook? If we're not in God's word, none of that matters. And he tells us, he says, you want to be prepared for life? It is in God's word. Which comes to this last one, it will be done. The church equips believers for the pursuit. How do we get ready for this pursuit after God? How do we get ready for this pursuit that says, I am going to live for God. I'm going to do the things of God. I'm going to follow God. I'm going to be obedient to God. Everything that God asked me to do, that is what I'm going to do. That is where the church comes in to teach, to train, to disciple, to equip. That is where we come in to tell them, 
you will find a model here of what it looks like to pursue after God. You'll find an example here of what it looks like to live sacrificially for God. You will find help here how to read and study and understand God's word. You will find people here that are prepared to point people to Jesus. And this idea that sometimes gets embedded in the life of the church, it's not my responsibility, it's Spencer's responsibility. It's not my responsibility, it's Greg's responsibility. It's not my responsibility, it's Van's responsibility. It's not my responsibility, it's Jimmy's responsibility. It's not my responsibility, it's Adam's responsibility. It's not my responsibility, it's the deacon's responsibility. It's not my responsibility, it's someone else's responsibility. Because we're all, we're all given the opportunity to pursue after God. So here's my invitation to you. Are you pursuing after God? If you're here this morning and you're not, because you're comfortable in your sin and you're satisfied in your sin and you say, I'll deal with my sin later. I want to plead with you. I want to plead with you. Do not leave here this morning lost. Or maybe you're here this morning and you know. Say, and, I, and I suspect maybe the majority in this room. You say, oh, Spence, I know I'm saved. I made a decision. I got baptized. I know I'm saved. Well, then are you pursuing after God? See, it's one thing to say I'm saved. It's another thing to say I'm pursuing after God. Oh, well, of course I'm pursuing after God. Really? Are you pursuing after God? Do you know what God's purpose is for your life? Well, um, I know I'm pursuing after God. Okay, are you, willing, are you willing to engage in the promises, both good and bad, that God has for your life? Well, well, I know that I'm saved. Are you preparing for what God has called you to do? Are you preparing for the ministry that God is going to allow you to serve in? Well, uh, I, I don't know. Are you trusting in God's provision? Well, uh, 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 I don't know. Then I would ask you to question whether you are actually pursuing after God. And it's not, it's not within my wheelhouse or within my purview to tell you whether you are or not. But if you're saved this morning, I believe based upon the testimony of Scripture, then in these next few moments you can pray and say, God, am I pursuing after you? Based upon the testimony of Scripture, the Holy Spirit will speak to your heart. Amen. Not an audible voice. I'm not trying to be all... God will tell you. God will confirm or convict in your life if you're pursuing after him. And it's not necessarily a matter for you individually. It's a matter for us corporately. Because we're a body. And we all impact and affect one another. And the same way, like last night, we go and we go out to eat for the, for the anniversary. We've got all six kids and we go into this restaurant. And you know how you always get these eyeballs and everybody's like, don't, I don't want to sit next to them. I don't want them to sit next to me. And they see these kids and I can just see someone. Do they know what's causing that? And they look around and go, well, isn't that weird? And they got all, the, all these eyeballs, you know, and when we sit down and just one of those little rascals, black-hearted, cold sinners, whatever, black-hearted, wretched sinners, well, just one of those 
have to lose your ever-loving mind and it ruins the whole meal for all, that, for all the rest of us, right? And so we're all sitting there and going, you know what, Eli, I'm counting on you that you're not going to drool on the floor and that you're going you're gonna to be able to eat your food, you know? And I'm looking at Wyatt. I'm like, all right, son, there's a lot riding on this. You know, just don't try to put the straw in your ear. I mean, I, I'm looking at Luke and I'm like, Luke, you know, I'm really counting on you that you can stay sitting in the chair all the way through the meal. I'm looking at these men like, it all takes us working together. Because it impacts the harmony. It impacts the enjoyment. It impacts the action. And when you come in here and you know you're not where God wants you to be, it impacts us. And you come in here, you're living in sin, it impacts us. Because we're the church. And we're the church that's been called to pursue after God. So where are you at this morning? Are you pursuing God or not? Bow your heads with me.